Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Hey, can we pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you for um, all that we can sing from our hearts unto you and Thanks for each band member here. Lord, thank you. You are able to do far abundantly more, all that we would ever ask or hope. And so remind us of things that we may have learned at one time and forgotten. Maybe there's new stuff you want us to see. Father, breathe life and grace into us like only you can through your word. And through my uh, preaching, Jesus, I would ask this in your name. Amen. So I particularly like Abby's creation of our uh, background. I just, Abby Fenske does these for us and what a blessing. So we are beginning a new series here on the book of James. And some call it like the Proverbs of the New Testament. And if you don't know, I just want to talk a teeny bit about James. He begins his scripture this way, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes of the dispersion greetings. By the way, the Greek word for greetings could also be translated rejoice. Interesting. And and the dispersion was this, the, the Jewish people had been exiled to Babylon at one time. They had been exiled to Assyria. And when the people came back, they all didn't come back. Some stayed. Some had built homes, made a living. They had a business. They, they're like, no, I'm going to just stay here right now. And so they stayed. And then as the gospel went out, you had these conversions among the Jewish people and also among the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. And so James is writing a letter to these people. Now, who is James? James is actually the brother of Jesus or the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, and it's interesting, I believe that James was not converted until verse 15 of, I'm sorry, verse 7 of chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians. Look what it says. Then he, that's Jesus, appeared to James and then the apostles. It's like I think he went to his brother and he's like, hey, I'm the real deal. And his brother finally converted and believed. And, and so much, he actually became like the overseer, the bishop, the, the uber pastor of the Jerusalem church. And if you remember, there's this time where they're trying to debate on do the Gentiles have to be circumcised and Paul and Barnabas and they go to Jerusalem and they have this council and who leads the council? I want you to know that Peter was there, Paul was there, and who leads it? James, the brother of Jesus. Like this guy, he somehow carried clout there. He was so known for praying at the temple steps, they called him camel knees. Other people have that name, not for praying, you know. But um, he, they called them camel knees. This guy was committed, and I think, if I remember my history, he was thrown off the temple. And that's how he was killed, because people were converting to Jesus, because of his testimony. Uh, so here he is. I'm sure he had a halo. Okay. And then he begins his scripture. It's always interesting. So it ends, rejoice, greetings, rejoice. And he says again, count it all, joy. Count it all joy when you meet various trial kinds of various kinds. Sorry, I have this memorized in another version. I should have stuck it up there. It would have been easier. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 
and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So he begins with this strange section, count it all joy. Interesting. I wonder, like, as you had friends and they're kind of complaining about the pandemic, did you go, count it joy? Consider it joy, right? You know, my, my, you know, I am blessed because my veterinarian allows me to come in with my dog, but you know, many veterinarians don't. And during COVID, people have complained to me and I'm like, you should go to mine, Scott. And they, and when they complain to me, you know what I should say to them? Count it joy. Count it joy. I mean, it almost seems harsh, doesn't it? You know, our friend Jackie, a a cancer diagnosis. What if we said to her, count it joy, right? That would, see, I think there's a part of difficulty where you have to grieve, we have to experience it, where you have to, like, let your emotions out. So how do you count it joy? I mean, how do you count joy, grief, anxiety, phobia, stress, PTSD, depression, panic attacks. How do you count it joy? These are all difficulties, trials, and hardship. How do you count it joy when your kids like go off the rail or experience some real difficulty? How do you count it joy when your spouse says, I, I really think I want a divorce? I mean, how do you, how do you count it joy? What's, what is he talking about here? I think he says count it joy because he knows suffering shapes us. And if you're like me, you can look back on some of the most difficult situations in your life. I remember one where it was like a bomb blew up in the family. Not a literal bomb, but an emotional bomb. And you know, I look back and I'm like, those were really hard times. But the learning that went on, it's like C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our joy, but he screams at us in our suffering. You know, and... And we learn and we listen and we look and we, we grow so much more. And he pulls away the things that we thought we could trust in. And, and they get stripped away from us. And we are transformed in the midst of it. And when I look back on that, man, I, there, is, there is a sense of, God, you are with us. I see your hand in it. It was horrible. But now I can count it joy. I can count it joy. Um, everybody's different, right? We all have different personalities. When I do premarital counseling, I, I give the DISC personality inventory and I talk about acceptance. But you know, all our personalities have natural strengths and weaknesses. And, and some people uh, who are uh, on the D end of the scale, when they have conflict, they go right at it. They go right at it. Now, other people go the opposite way, Right? Do you know sometimes it's good to go right at conflict and sometimes if you do, you end up losing your life? And how do we learn which way? Trial, suffering, difficulty, like moving into that situation. And, and this, is, um, this is part of life and this is what parents know. Kids need various experiences to grow and, and what God knows that without these trials, without these difficulties, we will never grow. I remember the week before Christmas when Gretchen had that minor stroke and, and sitting in the hospital and, and just wondering, is this like a little one? Is, is the hammer going to drop? Right? And then, and then pastors want Christmas Eve service to be moving and beautiful and, 
And a day before the service, three of the people that I had hoped to be part of it and planned to be part of it quarantined for COVID. And you're like, ah, you know, and then there's technology issues. And then not much later, the water fills the back of the building. And, and I had a mantra, roll with the punches and know that God will be glorified. Where do you get these mantras? Because you've bobbed and weaved and and lived through a lot of other punches that might even be worse than those, and you saw that the Lord was with you, that he was holding your hand, that he was supporting you, that, that because of all that difficulty, I could count it all joy. And, and there's a connection here, because in order to count something joy, a struggle, to know that God is using it to grow, you need to see it from God's perspective. You need wisdom. And that's why he rolls right into, hey, you can't count a joy if you don't understand, you, you need wisdom. And so he says, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. And, and it will be given him. What a picture of God. He's a generous God. But if your picture of God is not generous, he says, but if you ask him, but let him ask in faith, not doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's like, God is good, believe he's good, and ask him. And you know, wisdom isn't always the whys and hows. We don't always get that. But many times wisdom is a flyover perspective of your situation. It's a trust that, God, you've seen me through the past, and you're going to see me through this. Whether I end up in glory with you, you know, like there's this, this trust. I showed a, a video a couple weeks ago with Johnny. I ended the message with it. And it is a heart tugger. Johnny Erickson Tata, she was, uh, some of you younger people might not know who she is. She was a, a woman who had a diving accident. As a, in her teens, I think, but maybe early 20s, but I think in her teens, paralyzed from the neck down. They, I think they do a surgery so you can get some arm movement. But uh, she caught COVID. And, and, and I showed this video, but what I want you to do this time, I want you to listen for, so as, as opposed to listening with your heart, listen with your head and listen to how her experience brought her wisdom. And by the way, wisdom in the Bible can also be Jesus. Wisdom is personified in the wisdom literature, and wisdom could be the Spirit or Jesus. So listen to her experience of wisdom. And when I was told I had COVID, I thought, this is a death sentence. But my disability had already taught me how to carry even this cross for when I trusted him to see me through, even if it did, yes, mean death, when I, when I gave it all up to him, I, I could feel God take gentle, firm possession of this strange affliction and, and begin to do a work in me. It was as though the Lord pressed me, Johnny, do you believe me that I will never leave you or forsake you? That I am your ever-present help in this trouble? That doubting? me only makes things worse? Do, do you believe my grace is sufficient? Whether I take you home or uh, assign you to remain? Do you trust me? And in the dark, in bed, I cried out. Yes, Lord, I believe. 
and then in the ensuing hours and days, I felt this wonderfully odd calmness and almost indifference to how much it might hurt or how it would end. And I felt perfectly still under the hand of God. He pulled me close into a shelter and I, I felt myself resting in the shadow of the Almighty. And it felt blessed. Amen. Did you hear how she said in the beginning, my disability had already taught me. What is that? That's wisdom. But here she is, in a sense, crying out for wisdom again. And she meets wisdom, the person of Jesus. Count it all joy, because you look at your suffering and you say, Jesus, that, that was so difficult, but I wouldn't know you as I know you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know you as I know you. And what is the fruit of the Spirit? Joy. I wouldn't have experienced you, tasted of you without the suffering. I wonder how many of us will look back on the pandemic and say, you know, I count that joy. I count that joy because. Uh, and then he goes on to some particular testing of our faith. And the two tests he talks about here have to do really with prosperity and riches. And he says there's one test which is let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. So this is somebody who doesn't have riches, doesn't have wealth, doesn't have maybe they don't know where their next meal's going to come from. Isn't it interesting? Think about that. So somebody who's poor boasts in his exaltation, her exaltation. And then he says, let the rich, the one who knows where their meals are going to come from, the one who has fine clothes, the one whose kids are clothed well, going to special schools, getting educated, right? He says, let them, and, and the rich in their, like boast, it's insinuated, it's implied, in their humiliation. What? They boast in their humiliation because, and now he expounds on this a little bit, like a flower of the grass, you'll pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass and it flowers and falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So both of them are boasting the rich one in his humiliation. It seems kind of counterintuitive, doesn't it? Because we go, rich, you're not humiliated. You can fly first class, right? Or some people go, you can just fly, right? You know, like... and. and so what's going on here? Man, he's got, he's got a mindset of Christ. The poor person looks and says, I may have nothing, but Jesus, you gave up everything to give me everything. If I'm poor, my hope, my riches are found in you, Lord, in my relationship with you. I am exalted because you give me everything. My trust isn't connected to the things of this world because when I pray, give us this day my daily bread, it's you I'm looking to and you're the one who supplies it. I can, I'm exalted in that. You've lifted up the poor. And then the rich man says, oh Lord, it is so tempting for me because I, I can lose touch with my real riches. Lord, it's so easy for me to ground myself in my possessions and the things I have and, and to forget that all I have comes to me as a gift. And the biggest gift I have is your grace and your salvation. 
and you humble yourself in the midst of all of your riches and you say, Lord, I humble myself because I have so much, but it's a distraction from you. Because the true gift comes without effort. I'm not going to look down on those who, who don't have the things I have. Do you see that? How wise he is? And he would say being poor is a test and being rich is a test. Both of them are tests. Both of them are things to pass. And then he says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. For once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life. So this is like a race. This is like an Olympic event. And the, the trial is, is you're, 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 you have the crowds cheering you on and you win and you get this crown, this beautiful crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And when I, when I read this, I also uh, led a, a group of pastors that I'm with through a Bible study on Timothy this week. And, and in it, I came across this one verse which is kind of interesting. He says, in the presence of God... And of Jesus Christ and of the elect angels, I charge you. And I started thinking about the test of suffering and the test of hardship. And especially about those people who are going through a difficulty in nursing homes. Okay, so a friend of mine, his mother-in-law is in a nursing home. And he is a retired pastor and he and his wife would visit her daily before COVID. And when I was there to visit Lee, I would always stop in and visit her too and serve her communion. And we just had great talks. And she told the people in her hall all about Jesus, you know. And, and, and yet she just wants to go home and be with Jesus. And under COVID, they can't visit anymore. And I can't visit anymore. And now they just Skype twice a week. And I was thinking about the people who are alone, who suffer and are lonely. Like you and I, we, we suffer and you have people that come alongside of you and cheer you on and pray for you and, and help you. But these, there are people suffering that have no one to watch except they do have someone to watch. The eyes of the Lord are on them. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit and the elect angels. I mean, sometimes when we think of people watching, it's like, don't you sin, God is with you. You're right? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above will squash you like a bug. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Is that the, how the song goes? You know, like, like what? that's how we think. But no, we've got the, uh, the Lord cheering us on in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our difficulty. Like with Johnny, hold on, I'm with you. And the people in nursing homes the same way. The people who have experienced loneliness in this pandemic and this suffering. And God is with you. He is with you. The Spirit is with you. Jesus is with you. And even the angels are with you in the midst of the suffering. Hold on. Hold on. And then he says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one. So this whole thing is about tests, isn't it? Test, temptation. Uh, but each person is tempted when he is lured by his, uh, and enticed. Some, sometimes, some translations translate that seduced by his own desires. 
And then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. So this is kind of a a reproductive thing here, right? You've got a test, and then with this test is temptation. And with the temptation are your own desires. And with the desires comes sin, and when sin is given into, you have death. Somebody once said, sow a thought, reap a deed, sow a deed, reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a character, right? Sow a thought, reap a deed, sow a deed, reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a character. I think, in a sense, this is a little bit of what he's talking about. Now, every trial is a temptation. Every trial is a temptation. Let's say you have a quiet time regularly, and all of a sudden your schedule takes a big change. Your, your job says, oh, you got to work second shift. So we go, oh, how do I fit? Every, you know, there's a temptation to fall away from all the things that you had in your life. Every trial is a temptation. Uh, um, but we, we sin not because God wants us to, but because we want to. Uh, we sin not because God wants us to, but because we want us to. So the other night I was I bought one of those apparatuses so I can bring my bicycle in the house and ride inside. And Gretchen, you're a saint. She just is like, this is my husband, right? And so I was listening to a sermon on Tim Keller, and I'm just going to channel his him at this point because I was groaning as I was listening to this at the truth that was just coming out. Because he said this, the way sin works, the essence of sin is not that we want bad things, but we want things so badly, too badly. I'm going to say it again. The way sin works, the essence of sin, is not that you and I want bad things, but we want things badly, too badly. It's the over-desire. It's the uh, epi-desire, the the super-desire. That's what's translated many times evil passions, passions, or lusts in Scripture that entice you. In the Old Testament, God tells us he never sees sin just as breaking the rules. He sees sin as spiritual adultery. I think this is really important. If you read when the Ten Commandments were given, God says, you are my chosen people. Like, it's almost like the Ten Commandments are in uh, the Jewish wedding ceremony. If you've ever seen one, in some Orthodox, they sign a document, a ketubah. A ketubah. And it's almost like the Ten Commandments are the ketubah that the people are, are agreeing to. But it's all in this pic, this love relationship with God. And, and when we sin, what we're saying is, I don't love you as much as I love that. I need that more than you. See, the reason people sin is that they're enticed away into the arms of other lovers. What are these other lovers? Again, right away, we think, yes, it's when I do bad things. But no, anything that becomes a way to self-esteem more than God becomes a fatal attraction. Anything that becomes a way to your identity more than God becomes a fatal attraction. Do you get that? that that's what an over-desire is. It's a, it's a fatal attraction. Where does it lead? It leads to death. So... A a husband who has been unfaithful to his wife says, but she made me feel like a man. Or a woman says, but he made me feel like a woman. 
I felt wanted. I felt like, do you see that? You have this over desire and it moves towards infidelity because there was something there. Consider an over desire for success. You'll harm your body with overwork. Or an over desire for love. If you don't get that person, you'll kill yourself with self-flagellation. You just hate yourself because you couldn't get them. And if you do get the person, you'll destroy the relationship because of all the expectations you'll put on that person to make your life perfect. Sin will lead to death. And death comes from a fatal attraction to something which you love more than God. I mean, do you see this? Do you see how it works? Most of our sins are because something is more important to us than God. Let's say you lie on your taxes. Save yourself a few hundred, maybe a few thousand dollars. What are you saying? God, I love this money and having more security in this money than I ever do with you. Oh, the government doesn't need all that, right? Do you see how that goes on? Or or maybe you... Uh, lie to save your reputation, right? Because God, I can't trust you with my reputation and telling the truth. So I'm going to just lie about it so people think better of me because I need their thinking better of me more than what you think about me. I mean, do you see how this plays out in our life and in our in, in our world? And even maybe you, you want to lie because your boss is saying, hey, just... Just a little lie, no big deal to this guy. Tell him this. And, and, and you're saying, God, I can't trust you enough to potentially lose my job because you're not going to care for me. You're not going to take care of me like this job does. So I'm going to lie for my boss. I mean, do you, do you see how it's always another love that is more important in your life? So what do you do? How do we... How do we get out of our, how do we break up with our other lovers? Thomas Chalmers in his article, Sermon, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection, says the only way to break the grip of sin on your heart is to show it a more beautiful one. The only way to break the grip of sin on your heart is to show it a more beautiful one. Because what I'm doing and what you're doing when we sin is we're saying, this is beautiful. I don't know. When I, have you ever just walked outside and something about nature just preaches to you about the beauty of it? What I love about biking is, is the beauty of nature. What I love about hiking is... When you get to a, to a vista and you look out and there's just something breathtaking, I'm attracted to it. I'm, I'm drawn to that. And sin is always something we find beautiful and somehow we have to work on our hearts to find God more beautiful. And this is why over and over I try to say, look at Jesus Look how beautiful he is. Look what he's done for you. See the beauty in that. Let it melt your heart. Let it wean you away from the world and on to, to him. This is why worship is so important in our service because it's a time where we are just adoring the Lord. We're confessing how wonderful, how needy we are, how beautiful he is. It's like 
people who are early in their dating, they look each other in the eyes and they say nice things, right? Later on, it doesn't seem to work as much. But early on, right? Early on. No, later on, you have to work at it, right? And if you've been a Christian a long time, you need to think your way back into love with Jesus. You need to contemplate your way back into love with Jesus. You need to pray your way back into love with Jesus. You need to worship your way back into love with Jesus and say, Lord, my heart is hard. It doesn't, it doesn't get your beauty. It, the theology is only in the head and it hasn't touched my heart with joy. Lord, help. Open my eyes to your word. Open my eyes to your reality. And God is faithful to do that. I mean, you're his bride and I'm his bride. And he clothed us in this white gown. And, and he, he said, I, I've washed you. I've made you holy. I've clothed you in my righteousness. And how did that happen? In Genesis, after Adam and Eve sinned and they're naked and they're ashamed and they, they made themselves clothes with fig leaves and it just wasn't cutting it, the God comes along and says, I'll clothe you with the skin of an innocent animal. And he made clothing for them. And it's a picture of what Jesus did and how he clothed us in white. And if you're hearing this and you've heard it a thousand times before and your heart isn't moved by it, pray, say, Lord, move my heart by the gospel. Let the reality of your death and washing me clean and making me holy be my first love. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you that by faith we enter in and we're clothed with righteousness. Help us to find you more beautiful. So in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the difficulty, we can look to you and fix our eyes on you and say with John Newton that a prison is a palace with your presence and a palace would be a prison without you. We can look at the things that we aren't getting and we think we need and we can say, Lord, I may not have all the relationships, all the friendships, all the the career opportunities that I think I need, but with you, I have everything. With you, I can boast in my riches. And Lord, work that into our hearts like only you can. And we'll say thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.